Sports are starting to come back, and Podcast One Sportsnet has got all the action covered. With tons of different sports podcasts, there is something for everyone. Check out the Rich Eisen Show for your daily coverage, the Steve Austin Show for your favorite stories from Steve Austin's amazing career, the Deegans with Metal Militia star Brian Deegan and his extreme sports-loving family, plus many more. As sports return, be sure to tune in to all the great podcasts with Podcast One Sportsnet so you don't miss any action. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that Talk about the games, fam. So, who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome back to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson, talking NFC North. We've already made it through five divisions, Sam, and we've given every single team a ton of love. Yes. Right. Too much love, according to you. You want to go shorter. I've just suggested that we just keep it tight. I don't know if you have the stamina anymore in season nine for these shows. I think what you're happens flagging. is... You're getting old. I think you need new material. Huh. I think we both need new material. We <laughs> might repeat ourselves every now and again. But Look, this is the ultimate preview looking forward to 2020. Just last show, I started talking about the positives of speed Rubik's Cube solving. That's new material. That was new. That was new was material. material. Definitely new material. So, yeah, like, don't, don't criticize my originality. All right, let's just dive right in. Uh, by the way, uh, PFF.com, we still have CFB 25. Mm. 25% off our new college football product, which is hot off the shelves. We actually have college grading available. The fans have been asking for this for years. Yeah, and, you know, the, the Big Ten may be parking it for a while, but there's a bunch of college football that is actually getting played. And for the first time ever, you're going to be able to see all that data on PFF.com. Also, the draft guide is out. Proof that Mike Renner actually does something. I was wondering what he was doing for the last four months. Right. The draft guide is out there looking pretty. So it is good. a whole bunch of cool stuff up on PFF.com. So go check it. We have Edge and Elite. You can get the draft guide as uh, a part of those subscriptions. And then the new subscription, college football stats, premium stats, and the massive college football preview uh, magazine that they, was put together was really spectacular. So that's CFB 25. You get 25% off just that particular college product. And then you have Edge and Elite. So go check it out, pff.com. We are going to the NFC North mm-hmm. today. I know I'm going to say I say it about every division. But this is wide open, right? This is a deep one. Yeah. So my overview thought of this division, I've been on a few radio hits recently, Green Bay ones, Chicago ones. And my thought generally. So a little Bill Michael show? Doing a little yeah, Bill yeah. Michaels? Yeah. My thought has been that I think the Packers win this division. We'll get to that later. But it almost feels like the entirety of this division got worse in the offseason. That's like, why it's going to be You know close. what I mean? Like uh, there's a lot of these divisions where like this team got better and they needed to because the other three got better as well. And this is going to be a tough division. This one felt like, I don't think the Packers got any better, but I think the Vikings got worse. I think Lions got better. Did they? Because they traded away Darius Slay, and like their number one rookie is, is expected to basically mitigate that problem. Compared to last year, yeah. We'll get to him. We'll get to him in a minute. All right, let's start with the Bears. 
Okay. Yes. Um, we obviously have to start and discuss the quarterback situation. We've got Mitchell back for year four, uh-huh. and we have Nick Foles in the mix. So this is a great example, right? Because in theory, Nick Foles is a significant upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky. In what theory? What do you mean in what theory? A significant upgrade? Yeah. I don't know. There's do you like, not understand how bad Trubisky was? There's like 10 games of evidence that Nick Foles is, is better. Like other than right, that, but there's, there's zero games of evidence that Trubisky's better. But anyway, in theory, Foles is an upgrade. But you have to trade to make it happen. It's cost you a decent chunk of salary because he's on that absurd contract. And, as you say, there's bad Nick Foles as well. The, the, I think the point, though, that, that stands in his favor is that Foles at least has a history of, like, responding well to quarterback-friendly environments. He does. Where, and this, I think, is still fundamentally a quarterback-friendly environment, though Trubisky is so bad that he has essentially defeated the quarterback-friendly system. So I think plugging any viable quarterback into that system is, is immediately an upgrade. But my point is, you, in theory, you upgrade at the, the QB position, but the, the deal to make that happen was sufficiently bad that like, it's, not, like, it's not great. It's not great, Bob. Well, let's start with the Foles discussion. I want to pull up the, the number that I've been using when describing his volatility over the last few years. I tweeted this out a couple of years ago. So it was based off of Nick Foles in 2017 and 18, those two years that he took over for Carson Wentz. And Foles had the two highest graded games yeah. of any Eagles quarterback in 2017 and 18. Now, Wentz had like the next eight but then Foles had the next three. So Foles had like five out of the top ten highest graded games while playing only a fraction of the games that Wentz played mm-hmm. during that time. Foles also had the two worst and four out of the five worst. So we're talking about like Carson Wentz pretty consistent every single week in 2017 and 18. And Foles just like a roller coaster of emotions out there, including his two best games being the NFC Championship and the yeah. Super Bowl. The only two games that were graded above 90 during that time. Yeah, we've said this before, but like Jameis Winston might be the most volatile quarterback in the NFL throw to throw. In terms of like one throw, it's a beautiful dime down the seam, perfect play. The next, it's a horrific interception over the middle that you're like, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> Foles might be the most volatile quarterback in the NFL week to week. Yeah. Right? Like you either get this phenomenal Super Bowl caliber quarterback or you get this guy that looks like he's not even like he's worse than Mitchell Trubisky and very little in between. Like he swings from one one extreme to the next. There was nothing in 2017 that said like sure the Eagles are going to be great in the playoffs with Nick Foles. Like he was coming off of terrible regular season performances and even his first the division round uh with the Eagles wasn't that good. It was statistically it was poor throwing wise and then he just went on that run. So Foles you just don't know what you're going to get. The other thing that we said though last year with him going to Jacksonville Foles can generally, like, at least take care of the football, at least not turn it over. So if the Bears' defense can creep back toward 2018 levels, they could be safe. Yeah. I mean, Give me I, a look. Do you have a look? No, I was – I was. You, so I've unfortunately left some clutter on the, the thing behind me there, but I, I was saw, looking up at the monitor here, the and you're a sufficiently large human being that you actually hide most of my – most of my clutter, so it works. It's okay. You're making fun of my hips? No, no, I'm just saying that you're a large... I'm self-conscious about my hips right you're now. You're a large human. You're, you know, almost 300 pounds worth of person. Yeah, I saw the wheels turning. I didn't, I didn't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. So, so I'm blocking. I'm blocking. Look, if it was Very anybody else, if it was anybody else, we'd have some problems. And I was briefly considering whether I should yeah. get up here, go and, like, hide it away and come back. 
But then I, I, I looked and I saw, you know what, Steve's, mm-hmm. most of the time he's hiding it, so I'm probably okay. We're in a nice professional studio right now. Could you at least start acting professional? I, 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 literally, I was complaining that people were leaving clutter over there and then I go and do it without thinking. It's embarrassing. No, it's just a disaster. Anyway, anyway. Back to the Bears. Yeah. Folsey. Yes. What are you thinking? So who's going to start? Like, is, is Trubisky actually going to have a shot here or is it going to be Foles? I, how can you trade for that contract and still give Trubisky the starting gig? Because it's a sunk cost. I mean, it's, you really It wasn't it a sunk a cost before you did it. It was well, Jacksonville's sunk cost. Now it's sunk. And, I mean, again, the whole, the whole thing with money, we just saw the Chiefs with, like, 38 cents of cap space lock up every significant player yeah. for the next 12 years. I okay. mean, like, they're fine. How much does money even matter? Like, at some point, it's like the thing that they gave up for Foles isn't the millions they're paying. They're, like, they gave up a fourth. Like, that's the, what they gave up. And the money, though. Here's the thing. Like, it, so, did it keep them from signing someone else? Did it keep them from drafting someone? It didn't, so Jacksonville, there's degrees of this, right? Most of the time I'm kind of on your side of this, which is, look, you shouldn't let the idea that you're stuck with this thing keeping you from putting somebody obviously better in there, right? Thank you. And I think that would have been really interesting to do in Jacksonville, right? You sign Foles to this ludicrous contract, and then, oh, look, Minshew comes along, and he's younger, cheaper, and probably better. So I don't think that, I don't think that the money should have prevented them from keeping both them on the roster and saying, hey, look, Minshew's going to be the starter, but you're a really useful insurance policy, and albeit an expensive one, but we can afford it because Minshew's on like $5.42 as a six-round rookie. But then, so I think it's different that you're Chicago and this offseason, you, you finally admit it. Look, this Trubisky thing's a mess. We need to change something at the quarterback position. And of all the potential options for this offseason, and there were a lot of them, right? The, the Teddy Bridgewaters, the Andy Daltons of the world, the Cam Newtons, the Marcus Mariotas, the Jameis Winstons, of all of the various options, the thing you decided to do was to trade for Nick Foles and his bloated-ass contract, right? To then... A couple of months later, with almost no pre, like no preseason and very little training camp, to go, you know what? Actually, he's not any better than Trubisky. You would look like a freaking moron. Like you just can't do that. You can. If 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 the conclusion you come to at the end of training camp is, you know what? Trubisky's better than Foles. You might as well just resign and leave right now. Like you can't put him back in. You just have to. You have to say, we're riding with Foles. We. There's no other option. You can't. Yeah. Everybody in that building would have to resign and commit, you know, Harry Carey or whatever it is. The I would say Sebu that's the Kuhn. only the only part of it is that they made the choice to go get him out of yes. all the other options. I'd say that is Therefore, they're yeah. stuck with it. You can't it's not the same as Jacksonville who suddenly ha- like got presented with a different option. Like that was the thing you determined to do and you've traded for it. You 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 went with the worst possible scenario, right? The only way of proving to people that you weren't idiots, which is what they're saying you were for doing that, is to actually start the guy and try and get something out of him. Well, let's discuss what he has. Yes. And the rest of the supporting cast. The, the Bears offense went from uh, good play calling, Allen Robinson plus some other you know, somewhat unique uh, you know, pass catchers that, that turned them into a pretty nice 2018 offense. Um, an offensive line that went from the – I mean, when you just looked, you're like average, average, average. They were the team that was average across the board, therefore had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL yep. until last year when they all regressed, particularly at tackle. Charles Leno and Bobby Massey both regressed, had terrible seasons. 
Uh, Leno graded in the 50s. Massey a 63. They were both among the, in the bottom third at their respective positions. So everything got worse last year. And then they got 15 tight ends you know, on, the, on the depth chart. I, see, I look at those moves and think it's more curious. Like, it's not like tight end was this massive issue. And they went and paid for Jimmy Graham and then spent a second-round pick, which was their first pick, yeah. Cole Komet, out of Notre Dame, who's like, he was probably the best all-around tight end in the draft in a, an underwhelming you know, tight end draft, essentially. He's, he can run block a little bit. He's big, but he's not dynamic. Like, he's, I don't know what you're getting out of him in, in the second round. The Jimmy Graham move was bizarre. Like, so the, uh, when you sign with the Packers, it made some sense, right? It's like, hey, he hasn't been what he was in the past. It didn't really work with Russell Wilson. But there's a case to be made that the way Aaron Rodgers plays is actually useful for Jimmy Graham, right? Yeah. And that didn't really work, right? So at that point, when that didn't work and Russell Wilson didn't work, it's like, all right, now two of the best 10 quarterbacks in the NFL couldn't get crap out of Jimmy Graham. And you are adding him to the Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles mix as a plus. Like, what, what, what do you expect to happen? I really, I remember, I keep saying this, last year just felt like the year of the slow tight end. And I, I've mentioned Jason Witten. I've mentioned the Patriots, you know, offensive lineman caliber tight ends speed-wise. And then Jimmy Graham just looked like slow and like here's this off-target throw from Rodgers and he can barely adjust to it and all that stuff. So the, there's just a lot of tight ends like that. Jimmy Graham, right now. the last three years, has now had PFF grades of 66, 59.6, and 58. Yeah. Like If you're grading in the 50s as a tight end, you're not very good anymore. So that's a potentially an issue. I think the playmakers, though, Allen Robinson's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, He can win on the outside. Good contested catch guy, good route runner. He's got that combo, right? Um, Anthony Miller, you're still waiting for him to break out a little bit. But, you know, I think he could be – he's got that solid number two type of ability. And then Ted Ginn, you know, wasn't great last year and all that stuff. But he still has the deep speed and all that stuff. I mean, is a complimentary deep guy, right? He could be yeah. okay. Um, and full, like if you talk about Foles, if there's the play – like when he has those runs – it's what he starts dropping like fifty yard dimes in there and stuff like that. So like if you have a gin, the play you got that hurt does on, help. right? In Jacksonville was like a deep bomb to DJ Chark. Yeah, like it was, he actually got hurt on like a plus one deep uh, and, dime. And if you want to know why Foles is volatile, I mean, go back and listen to the last episode, the NFC East, and my description of Daniel Jones. And I and I described uh, Jones as a Nick Foles type coming out of the draft, and it's that. When you go and you just tick off the traits, Foles, it's like toughness, you know, makes plays under pressure, makes plays in the face of pressure, doesn't care. You know, he's oblivious, not oblivious to it, but he's <laughs> aggressive and or, or oblivious, right? No, he's it's, yeah, it's a fair um, And that's what leads to the wide ranges of outcomes with, with um, Foles. Adam Schefter on the PFF forecast, which you should go listen to, made a point that, you know, this year with the no preseason, the truncated training camp, all those kinds of things, this feels like a year that a weird team that nobody's talking about could like come out of nowhere and suddenly actually be really good. The, you know, no fans in the stands, maybe home field advantage disappears, like all these weird things that are unique to this season. The Bears, to me, feel like a team where the, the fundamentals exist for this team to be good, right? Like, it, it, this was a team, I think, that was set up to be really good if Trubisky was just viable. And then he, not only did he not take a step forward, but he actually went the other way and became so bad that they had to start dismantling everything around him, right? This, this sort of quarterback-friendly system, which fundamentally, remember, is the same thing that they're running in Kansas City and in Philadelphia 
in terms of you know a ton of RPOs, a ton of things that are really useful for like free offensive production, right? Yeah. Because they just stress defenses. Um, Trubisky was so bad that Matt Nagy had to start scaling back on all that stuff, right? In theory, to sort of to make it even easier for him to to operate. But all it did is like made everything worse, right? Because right. he didn't get any better with the pared down version, and all of the useful stuff that you took away made a difference. So everything just sunk and got worse. But I think that Nick Foles, as I say, his history shows that in those kinds of systems, he can take advantage of free schemed up yards, right? And every now and again, he'll go on a run where he puts it all together, and that's yeah. where you get like amazing Foles and amazing production, all that kind of stuff. So. As you said, the offensive line took a big step back last year, as did everything else. I think fundamentally it's a decent unit. I think fundamentally the weapons are decent, right? Robinson, Cordero Patterson is this X-factor, useful play. Playing is in the running back room yep. right now. Ted Ginn is, um, I think, is still a viable deep threat. Remember last year he was paid with Drew Brees, whose deep ball has mm. evaporated. Yep. Um, Anthony Miller, we're still waiting, but I think he's useful. Riley Ridley, decent route runner. Right. Tariq Cohen, David Montgomery, they're still decent running backs along with Patterson. Tight end is a question mark, but there's like 15 of them, so maybe one of them will be useful. I think fundamentally the offense, or the pieces on offense are there for them to be good. And defense, the same thing, right? There's still a lot of talent there. So as much as nobody expects the Bears to be any good because of last year, I think fun, like this is a team that could surprise out of nowhere and actually be really, particularly in this division where, as I say, I think everyone got worse. This yeah. team could jump everybody. I think they could be solid offensively at least. I mean, we'll talk about the defense in a second. But I wouldn't be surprised if both tackles bounce back. James Daniels, when, him, when he and uh, Cody Whitehair flipped last year, they flipped positions halfway through the year. Daniels moving to guard and Whitehair back to center. Both graded pretty well there. The only massive question should be, Rashad Coward, who graded a 51.7 last year, replacing Kyle Long, who retired and wasn't himself when he was playing last year. Everything should be solid offensively and could be. Yeah. And then you've got this range of outcomes with Foles and just kind of see where it lands. So, yes, they could be good. Defensively, I always you know, start, start the PFF way, back to front. Um, okay. So I'm starting in the secondary. My concern here is just comparing to the 2018 team when they did have the best defense in the league. There's no more Adrian Amos, who is very good. I don't care what you say, Bears fans. He's very good. And he was very good last year for the Green Bay Packers. Not having him, not having a Prince of Mukamara over there. We loved Jalen Johnson in the draft, and he's, you know, but you're talking about a you know first-round caliber rookie that they got in the second round. You're talking about him stepping in and being a starter potentially right here, and he's not even... He's battling Kevin Tolliver for that job right now. Well, he's also battling injury to get back in the first place. Like, yeah. Artie Burns going down um, opens the door for Jalen Johnson to right. be like the immediate starter. And I think fundamentally that would be the right thing anyway. But he's A, being thrust into the starting gig, B, working with no preseason and a shortened training camp, and C, like battling injury just to get back and get the reps in the first place. So that dude right. is like fighting seriously uphill to be good right out of the gate. So. I've got concerns at number two. Kyle Fuller's solid, but, you know, he's not great. Mm-hmm. Number two corner and then Buster Screen. You know, again, Ooh. remember that, that 2018 team had Bryce Callahan, and he's good, and he was good in the slot at a valuable position. I just think that the 2018 team was good, and it was a lot of, oh, well, it's Khalil Mack, and it's Hakeem Hicks up front, and they were excellent that year. But that was as strong of a just secondary one to five 
as we saw in the NFL. And now I look at it and I'm like, Eddie Jackson's really good. And then the next four, Tayshawn Gibson, Kyle Fuller, I just don't know. And how, that's where I have concerns. How does Buster Screen keep getting jobs? I don't know. He's He gets jobs kind of like the guard. He's just like the guard that has a lot of His career baseline in terms of PFF grade is like 50s. Which we just talked about on the offensive line is like, or the tight end is is not a good place to be. His coverage grade is actually worse than that I, I as a baseline. Know. I honestly don't know because it's like when a when an offensive lineman it, to me it's easier to mm-hmm. hi, you feel like you can hide bad offensive linemen. Well, you can because they're still going to win most of their reps. Like a, a slot corner that grades poorly for us is probably getting torched like right in front of your right. face a lot. Like a bad offensive line who gets beat on a play is allowing pressure, which can still be nothing, right? Like a quarterback right. can mitigate that, get the ball away, and it doesn't even count, right? A bad like a guy getting torched in coverage is probably getting targeted, at which point it's a touchdown or whatever, yeah. right? His, you know what the highest coverage grade he's ever had in a season is? 63 or something? 61.4. For his career, he's been beaten for a passer rating of 100. He's, got, he's allowed 44 touchdowns and had just nine interceptions. And he's got 66 penalties in all that. What? Yeah. That, so that part I don't get. I get. Like the fact that Seattle rolls out there every year with like a subpar offensive line and still like, hey, we got a good offense. Like they still feel like it's good. Yeah. Again, I get it because most like the offensive linemen are still going to win more than, than they're going to lose. And you kind of like lose that baseline of where the rest of the NFL is. With a slot corner, it should be obvious. So I think, you know, screen has bounced around and really struggled. It was like a brief period between Cleveland and the Jets where it was like, all right, he was in Cleveland. He showed some flashes, and Cleveland's like a you know that's you don't get good players there. So with the Jets, he'll be way better, right? And then with the Jets, it was like you know what? Actually, turns out he's the same guy, and he's just not great. And now we're still giving him. He's still employed, playing a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so Khalil Mack is coming off of the lowest grade that he's had since his rookie year, and it's his lowest uh, run defense grade and his lowest pass rush grade over the last couple of years. I don't have massive concerns about Khalil Mack. I no. think he'll still be fine. He's still really good. Akeem Hicks is still really good. The Bears are going to come down to, you know, as much as we talk about the offense and what Foles does, they, it's, it's going to depend on Foles and the volatility. I think the, the secondary for me is just a massive question mark. And I don't know, like when, um, when Vic Fangio was there too, I felt more comfortable about his scheme. We talked about this with the AFC West and Denver. I feel better about his scheme protecting those guys a little bit. I don't know that the Bears are equipped there. I also think I think the personnel sort of fits this, but they actually need to be deployed a certain way for the for them to get the maximum out of this. Certainly, the the, the defensive front. Right, you bring in a guy like Robert Quinn, who I think is still fundamentally a really talented pass rusher and can be a big part of getting pressure opposite Khalil Mack. But Quinn needs to be deployed with his hand in the ground. Like yeah. if you're if you're going to put him where Leonard Floyd was and say stand up, whatever two point stance, do what you like, but rush the passer, he's not going to be good. Like we've seen that he's one of those guys. There's a few of them. Every now and again, you get these these guys that you know from an alignment standpoint, this idea of two versus three point stance, three four four three. They're lined up in the same spot, like identically. They're in the exact same technique. I'm like dead opposite you, whether I'm in a two-point or a three-point stance. There's no difference, right? But there are players that rely on the coil that you get from having your hand in the ground, being able to like load up and burst off the line. And those first couple of steps is how they win. And in particular, 
that's always been how Robert Quinn's won, right? Like we talked about it last time that you need a counter. Quinn's like the one guy ever that's not needed to counter, right? That guy just wins around the edge Speed. almost every single time. And in order to do that, he needs the hand in the ground to get those first two steps. If you have him in it from a two-point stance, he can't explode off the line anymore. So he just he can't win the way he wins, at which point he doesn't win, period. So they need to have him deployed that way. And, you know, the, the systems or the, the, the alignments that Chuck Pagano has used over the years, they have been that kind of hybrid front where you've had a mix of uh, down linemen and, and, and two-point stance guys. But there's a specific sort of sequence that these guys basically need to be aligned in now for that to be effective. They have Barkevius Mingo, though, so it's okay. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. And he doesn't, it doesn't matter if he's in a three-point stance or not. Of course not. He's the same guy. Equally ineffective he's the either same way, guy. yeah. So I was doing some research, actually, for an article on PFF.com. I was looking on at Mingo? The, well, Mingo came up. It was the, <laughs> the critical factors on um, the 2021 draft class. Mingo's critical factors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's still working on his. Yeah. Um, and essentially, the, the guy that is the highest-graded pass rusher for us is a guy named Chris Rump from um, Duke. Yeah. He's listed at 6'3", 225. Yeah. And, you know, even Mike Renner in the draft guide – uh, one of his, and I, I try not to read the draft guide until I watch the player. I like to watch the player first right. and then go see what Mike said. And he, you know, I'm watching Rump and I'm like, man, he is just so skinny and he's just light. And I'm, and I'm always wondering, we've discussed this a million times, how light is just too light when you're translating to the NFL. So I looked up the best pass rushers that were under 240 pounds. And in the last decade, there's only two guys with, with even good grades. And it was Chris Clemens. And Robert Chris Mathis was under 240. He was listed at 234 or something like that. And wow. then Robert Mathis. And again, I'm going off Mathis. listed weight. We know that like NFL players can fluctuate like 15 pounds right. at a time. Mathis was like 245. He was listed at two, in the in the 230s. I'm just going off a listed weight, weight. so that could even be false too. But yeah, um, Rumpf is listed at 225. So like even if he puts on 15 pounds coming out of Duke, and this is what Renner mentioned in the draft guide, which is like the dude's awesome. He's got great length, but he needs to put on at least 15 right. pounds. Um, like Vaughn Miller's listed at 250. He feels much bigger and stronger than that to me. But I mean, Mathis, uh, Mathis is like the prototype for that yeah. small speed pass rusher. Right. right. And well, I, My point with Mingo is he's listed at 235. So I just yeah. didn't – I was, I was inexperienced when I fell in love with him back in 2012. NFL.com lists Mathis at 245. Just All right, so we just have – we have an outdated – we have outdated numbers then. Take – Take Mathis out of it. Okay. <laughs> so, so Chris Clemens, where's he listed? Can I also um, say the point is the undersized guys struggle. Go read my article and go get the draft guide. That was it. Uh, this is, I think, a big season for Akeem Hicks um, with uh, Eddie Goldman opting out for the season. I, I don't think that's a massive loss because Akeem Hicks can do a lot of the same things, particularly in this sort of hybrid defensive front. But like Akeem Hicks at his very, very best – was dominant, right? And he's so good against the run and was good enough to be like a plus power pass rusher, right? And win with a bit of speed sometimes as well. But like his, what was it, 2018 was incredible. He had this 90-plus yeah. PFF grade. But like that's kind of an outlier for his career. Like he was yeah. a sort of high 70s graded guy, jumped to 90 for one incredible all-pro season. And then even last year, injured and stuff and you know didn't get a full picture but was like back down to the sort of 70s baseline not the 90 guy you know what i mean right. so does is can can he get back to that level again 
because I think for the first time in a while, like the Bears actually need him to be at that level for this defensive front to be really imposing. Yeah, so let's wrap it up on the Bears. You seem optimistic. I, I don't, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying optimistic, but I can. There's a bunch of teams where you know you're. It's always hard when you're trying to predict unlikely outcomes, right? We know that just by just by uh, the law of the NFL, there are going to be some weird uh, worst of first teams every year, right? This year, more than ever, I think there's going to be a lot of those. But by definition, trying to pick an unlikely thing to happen is not easy, right? So I, I can't really see a way that a team like the, the Dolphins is good this year, right? Even oh, in a really? crappy division. No, I, they, they're not going to be good. Oh, I can There's a bunch of teams out there that I really can't see a scenario by way it works. I can see a way that this Bears team can actually be good and win win the NFC North. Uh, My Bears analysis is last year it was a lot easier, right? Last year it was easy for all of us across everywhere at PFF to be like, there's no way they're going to duplicate 2018. Like the 2018 team was an 8-8, 9-7 team that overachieved, you know, made do with subpar quarterback play. And had an incredible defense that you just can't duplicate, right? So that was an easy call. They're going to regress. Oh, look at you guys. You're geniuses. This year, I do think because of the volatility in the secondary and at quarterback, it could land all over the place. Yeah. And I think because the rest of the division, as you said, may have all gotten worse, you know, the Bears could be 8-8-9-7 again. And I honestly don't think that their team is as good as they were the last couple years. This This is definitely a team, I think, that could shoot for that third wild card spot in the NFC. And, like... Just because of what we've seen before, like Nick Foles in the postseason, you get there, Nick Foles can make some things happen. Never know. Never know. Big Nick energy. Let's move on. Detroit Lions. Um, This is the team, uh, again, the difference between a bet and a favorite. This is the team that I think our guys are uh, gambling folks. Yeah. The forecast guys. So this is your best bet in the NFC North. Um, and I think, you know, I think what happens is you go they, – they picked third last year. So you, you assume that they were one of the worst teams in the NFL, but they were one of the worst teams because they had to trot Jeff Driscoll out there, David Blau out there. They actually – and then when, even when they had Matthew Stafford, they were losing some heartbreakers early in the year. You know, they were you know, giving the Chiefs a run for their money and the uh, Packers two times that they lost because of illegal hands to the neck. I mean, come on. <laughs> They should have beaten the Packers twice. So the Lions, I think the people sour on them because they're like, well, they picked third. They didn't win a lot of games. But they're returning a reasonable offensive line, a really good group of playmakers, and a a newly aggressive Matthew Stafford that was fantastic last year. Assuming that holds. Assuming that holds, and he's healthy and sticks to attacking down the field. Um, A defense that certainly has plenty of question marks, but like I'm looking at that offense and thinking that they – have the ability to compete with three legitimate receivers, a quarterback, and, you know, emerging tight end. Yeah. I mean, I can see the offense being good. The, the defense is where my concerns are for this team. But, yeah, I mean, I'm on board with the idea that that offense could be good. I think I'm a little bit concerned with the idea of, like, relying on Matthew Stafford being the same guy he was before he went down. Like, his, the performance he had at that average depth of target was insane. It was, like, up there with that 2015 Carson Palmer season in terms of – this is, like, ludicrously unsustainable. Now, it's the kind of thing you yeah. can somehow sustain for a season, and I've never worked out how that functions. But predicting that to maintain one year to the next is always iffy. He had 25 big-time throws, 12 turnover-worthy. He had that one game against the Chiefs. He had six big-time throws and four turnover-worthy. He had two separate games 
with six big time throws, which is insane. I mean, they were he was so aggressive throwing the ball down the field, eleven point eight average depth of target after years at like six and seven and just at you know Alex Smith yeah. levels. Anything over ten is a lot. Anything over eleven is like once in a, a long time doesn't show up every now and again. Jameis levels eleven point eight. I mean, that's the highest we've ever seen, right? Like, we've never seen anything at that. I don't that. think so. I'm looking at it unfiltered, I think, with uh, no plays. But the previous year was 8.1. He had a year, 2015, he was at 7. Um, this was his highest passing grade of his career, 83.3. Yeah. I mean, he was on his way. And now, they, again, they weren't winning games, but... But that combination is the highest average depth of target, one of the highest we've ever seen combined with best passing grade of your career yeah. is a combination I don't see sustaining year to year. Yeah, eight, like yards per attempt was a career high. Like everything was better for Stafford. Again, my concern is the way people evaluate things because the Lions could easily say, well, we did this with Stafford last year. We didn't win a whole lot of games. And it's like, right. if you do it again this year and he performs at that same level, like oh, that's you're going to be, yes. you, you're the team to beat in the NFC North, if that's Ooh. the case. Is that crazy? Yes, you're the team. If he performs at that level again, I think you're the team to beat. And no, I, here's, that's madness. Here's your your question: is the sec, is the secondary for the Lions? Yeah. Let me ask you this: What makes them better than the Bears? What are they better than the Bears secondary? What makes them? better? I'm sorry. What makes them worse than the Bears? Did you probably secondary wise? Yeah. Because I'm looking at Desmond Trufant. Not much, but the Bears front seven is better. Yeah, I like the addition of Jamie Collins though. Trey Flowers in year two there, like. A, I think they're getting a little bit better there. I'm looking at the secondary, though, and I mean, saying in, in this man coverage scheme, Desmond Trufant, they paid a lot of money for him, but as a reclamation project, the always solid Deron Harmon, the yes. underrated Tracy Walker, so those two safeties, it's going to depend on how good Akuda is right off the bat. And then Justin Coleman's one of the better slot corners. Okay, well, let, let, let me tell you why the Bears is better, right? One, because, I mean, they have guys like um, Eddie Jackson, who's a proven all-pro free safety like Jaron Harmon is a solid free safety he's not Eddie Jackson um also I don't like this idea of being the most man heavy system in the NFL like Bill Belichick has worked out how that functions and has got it down to a T I don't see evidence that the Lions have yet like they don't do the same things that the Patriots do in terms of like actually maximizing that man coverage down to down all they did was hang out Darius Slay on an island let him get burned and with a million three-man right now you don't have Darius Slay anymore who was like a proven pro bowl caliber corner you're expecting a first round rookie to come in do the same thing if not upgrade you bring in Desmond Trufant as like a complete reclamation project hoping that he can hold up in that scenario and Justin Coleman is one of the best slot corners in the NFL who's been getting roasted in this man cover system so it's not easy right so (laughs) you're like this is we talk about being guys being put in a good position to succeed. This, if anything, is doing the opposite. Here's what I would say. The same point that you make about Sean McVay needing to figure out what 2.0 is, that's yeah. Patricia yeah. in this defense, right? They came in a couple of years ago, and they they were as vanilla as it gets, especially for a Belichick defense. It, just on like the, the macro level things, like are you running stunts? No. Are you running right. four-man rushes? You know, you, it's three and four-man rushes. Not a whole lot of blitzing, not a whole lot of different coverage shells. It's a whole lot of just cover one. Is there a 2.0 to Patricia in the Belichick scheme, which is normally game plan specific and will change right. every week and who knows what we're going to do? 
So where I think it's slightly different, I think McVeigh had the thing that worked and then needed to work out version 2.0 of that system. Patricia's thing is, it's like he's taken he's taken the the thing from somewhere else and now needs to make sure that he actually has all of it, right? It's like, you know, moving it's like if you uh, change computers, right? You need to make sure all the settings from the old one come along with you. Yeah. Like what we've got here is he's jumped from like one computer to the next, hasn't taken the sort of the automatic swap over system with him and has just tried to like remember what all the settings are as he goes, right? That's what he's done. Whereas what he needed was that seamless transition thing where you hook them up together and it like copies settings from one to the other. Oh, when you get the new computer and cr- like when Chrome remembers your bookmarks. That's what I'm saying. And all so that, that's the best. He didn't do that. He's just trying to remember what all his bookmarks are. Hmm. Well, and you're you always going to forget some. You know who's going to help with the bookmarks? Who? Jamie Collins, Danny Shelton, Deron Harmon, all of the Patriots players who come in. That'll help, yeah. I think that Probably. helps. I love the Julian Aquara uh, draft pick up front. I mean, I, I just think they're moving in the right direction. And if you are talking best bets and prob- you know, teams that the, that the public is probably sleeping on, you can make the argument that having a, you have a competent quarterback, the playmakers, as we mentioned, they're pretty solid, three deep. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and Danny Amendola. Like, that's, that's beautiful. Plus Hawkinson, who showed flashes last year at tight end. Like, if you're talking one to four playmakers, like the Lions are in the top ten in the NFL as far as unique skill sets and, you know, all that stuff. I think they're a good bet. I I agree with all that. Yeah. I mean, I don't hate them as a bet. I don't know that it's – I don't know that I – like, it's again, it's it's predicting long shots, right? It's always tricky. I don't love this particular long shot. Um, I just think – I think too much of that is based on the idea of what Stafford was doing last year, which I I think is is at its core not sustainable one year to the next. So even if he doesn't play as well, the style of – Big armed guy who's going to take chances downfield and try to create chunk plays. Like again, I would much rather that this is the the plea we've been making. Right, table banging. The plea we've been making to Derek Carr. At least try it because there are chunk plays to be had. I think they'll stay aggressive, work off play action, and try to drive the ball down the field again. Even if he doesn't play as well, there's still going to be a lot more plays to be made than maybe the previous years when he was more conservative. Sure, and I know you like that stylistically, but the other end of the scale on that is Jameis Winston. It's like, you know, if it doesn't, if it, like just being aggressive for aggressiveness sake is not always great. If you don't actually harness that aggressiveness and minimize a certain degree of errors, you're going to end up with Jameis. And fun, like at the end of everything, they just got fed up with that and said, look, get out of here. It's, it's not good enough. Right. So look, Stafford is almost always better than Jameis, but the high end of where he was was unsustainable. So where in that spectrum is he going to fall? Because somewhere there's a line where it stops being like a positive thing. Um, on the on the negative side, I think uh, offensive line wise, you know, Rick Wagner's out at right tackle. They're bringing in Big Vitae, Big V, coming in from the Eagles. He's coming off of his best run blocking season. He's always been a question in pass protection. Right now, Ode Abushi is the guy that's perhaps the starting right guard. Can you say Big V's first name yet? Uh. Halapuliavate. No, I haven't even tried. <laughs> you can't. I can't do it like on the spot and spell it out. I have to. Like that's not. That's not good radio. Well, I mean, it, I mean I've never really tried. Okay. Have you tried? It's called Vitae. Well, yeah. Everyone calls them the big V, so they don't have to. It's what Halapulivati, Vitae. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good job. I mean, I think that was fine radio, to be oh. honest. Oh, okay. Good work. Anyway, the line, the line's probably average at best. 
um, unless that you know third round guard Jonah Jackson could see some time. We really liked him coming out. Uh, DeAndre Swift was their second round running back. I think again when you have those first four pieces, the three wide receivers and the tight end. What do you and think? Swift is the fifth. That's not bad. What do you think this backfield ends up looking like? Like, is he going to go? Is is uh, Patricia going to go the Belichick route of like different back for different day? Honestly, I think I think on Johnson plays the Sony Michelle role. Like, if you've got a fullback, if Nick Bowden's in there, because this is early a very downs, you're going on Johnson. In, yeah, in terms of like running back stable, this is a very diverse group of skill sets, right? on Johnson, DeAndre Swift, Bo Scarborough. Like those are three very different backs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think Carryon Johnson's probably the best, just pure running back. The guy that you know, he can run power inside zone. He's going to run between the tackles. He'll run with a fullback. If they do, um, part of Stafford's aggressiveness was the ability again, like what they were doing with Russell Wilson in Seattle. It's you know they they built a run first team. They built a team that really wanted to establish the run. We criticized them for it a little bit, but what that does is it it, it that is at least the philosophy that, like, when my quarterback's going to throw, it's going to be down the field. I mean, I think that's that's really what it is. It's like we're going to create chunk plays and maybe not run as much quick game. We're not going to replace the run with the pass. We're going to run, right? And I think what that did is allowed Stafford to focus on fewer, you know, fewer passes but creating chunk plays. Carry mm-hmm. on Johnson's the guy to kind of make that run. And then when you want to spread it out – go 11 personnel, three wide, and all that stuff, DeAndre Swift. That 11 personnel package, though, of Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, and TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift, that is tough to cover because it's, it's five legitimate receivers. So I'm interested in seeing that if they go empty and if they start you know, moving guys around there. It'll come down to their defense, though, right? Like They have to take a step forward yeah. in year three under Patri- uh, Patricia. Uh, Jamie Collins has never played well outside of belichick but he's at least within he's in the tree he's in the trust tree here uh, <laughs> yeah. at linebacker jared davis has never played well they did they denied his uh, fifth year option he's coming off a of year grading in the 40s regressing a little bit but he's a good blitzer yeah. like that you know having collins there maybe allows him to be deployed in those very specific roles that's got to uh, be a bummer to the guys that are like best young linebacker in the nfl and then his own team doesn't pick up his fifth year option some people some I'm not saying it's good. proof either way. I'm just saying that, like, if you're, you know, if you're on the the banging the table for Jared Davis bandwagon, then his own team doesn't pick up the option. That's yeah. got to be tough. Like, that's that's a blow to the credibility right there. I also, yeah, you're right. I also look at the secondary. They brought in Jaron Curse, Daryl Roberts, uh, Amani Oruwari is still there. There's another name. Yeah. I had it. I was. I struggle with that. Oruwari. Yeah, I've had that one though. I know, yeah, this is the first while. time you fucked it up. I kind of like the secondary. Like, even if Desmond Trufon isn't the right, I mean, you, Oruwari is good insurance. J. Ron Curse is a good. I mean, I think he might be a better starter. Tight end coverer. Yeah, I, I just, I think they're more equipped. I don't hate the group. I, my concern with that is, A, you now have so much expectation on um, their first round rookie to actually play well right out of the gate, which is just hard, right? It's tough. Yeah. It's a tough ask. It's rarely successful, particularly a cornerback. And two, I just I honestly don't like that system unless unless you're Belichick, unless you know all the settings. Going psychotically man heavy on the back end is not good in today's NFL. We've seen that from basically anybody else that does it, except Belichick, because he knows the things to do. 
And even he doesn't do, you know, we think of man all the time the way the Jets used to run it with Darrell Rivas, right? Just hang a guy out in an aisle and that's all you do. But even, like, Belichick doesn't do that. They don't hang Gilmore out against, like, Julio Jones every single play on his right. own with nobody anywhere near him. That's not what they do. They, like, specifically engineer it so that he's matched up with the guy he's most likely to be able to shut down every single snap. I, I just wonder if having, having Deron Harmon back there and all that stuff does yeah, create, it's possible. create more of that flexibility, right? Because, again, the Patriots scheme is like, all right, Devin McCourty, they need smart safeties because one week you're like the over the top guy on Julio. Like you're just, you're literally just doubling him or you're leaning away from one guy and, and covering the other three. Or like there's some specific things that they ask their safeties to do. Um, and Tracy Walker's another, you know, he's been a really solid playmaker. That's been an underrated third rounder for them the last couple of years. I, I like the Lions, you know, as, as a sleeper team this year, uh, in part because I do think, you know, more people are down on them. And I think more importantly, I'm banking on Stafford. Mm. Just, uh, you know, doing the same thing again. Yeah, I don't love them for basically the same reasons. <laughs> I, just, I just don't think that defense is going to be great. And I don't think Stafford – I don't think what Stafford did last year is what we're going to see this year. You don't? No. You have no faith in Patri- Patricia here. I mean, I, Adjusting. I haven't I, – he can adjust. I just – this Belichick coaching tree thing, unless you have the full thing – it's yeah. just not the same. Like Tom Brady. Right. And I've yet to see anybody demonstrate that they have the full, the full system. That's the bigger thing. You got Tom Brady. Well, that helps. Resolves. But even a on, a, just a, on a defense. No, defensively, too. I mean, obviously, there's, there's differences that um, other teams haven't been able to employ. Uh, quick break to tell you about our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Uh, I actually love this because it's, uh, it's best ball. And... It's your new favorite place to play fantasy football for real money. It's all called Underdog Fantasy. With Underdog, all you need to do is the fun part, which is draft. And I know you're lazy, and you Mm -hmm. probably just want to draft and not keep up with your team, Sam. So that's perfect. You forget about injuries, trades, waivers, setting lineups. Just set it and forget it. Yes. Like the the chicken roaster a few years ago. You go set it and forget it. You probably didn't have those ads over in Ireland. Set it and forget it and wait for the winnings to come in. And this year they have a $1 million tournament. That's right. Just draft the best team, and you have a shot at $1 million in prizes sign up for underdog today and enter the best ball mania for a chance to win the one million dollars in prizes by going to underdogfantasy.com or search underdog fantasy in your app store that's underdogfantasy.com or search underdog fantasy in the app store and then be sure to enter the promo code pff after you make your first deposit so that's my favorite part you don't worry about lineups you got a chance for a million bucks. They have all the information you need, player news, rankings, ownership, all that stuff, all within the app. And you can forget, it, forget about those pros. Actually, at PFF, a lot of our smart guys who use these advanced algorithms and they flood contests that you don't have a chance at. If you're just a, you know, a normal guy without an alg- algorithm, you don't have to worry about any of that. Um, so I love it. It's Underdog Fantasy. Check it out, underdogfantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in your app store. Promo code is P. F. F. Big fan of a uh, chance at a million bucks. That's always good. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And, uh, yeah, we got some former PFFers who have won millions. Multi-millions. Yeah, huh. I think twice. Damn. That one guy. Why haven't we won millions? I don't think you have the advanced algorithm or uh, maybe you didn't have underdog fantasy to go check it out. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Two more teams. We got another, Packers. got another ad read, don't we? Or next. We have a pre-roll. Pre-roll. We have to do right now. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Can we... 
Come on. Very. What? You criticizing my professionalism you can, again? You could, yes, because oh. you could have sent me a message like oh, you did the first time. I could have, but I didn't. Send me a message. Green Bay Packers then? Yes. Let's yeah. go to the Packers. Okay. All right. Let's not rehash the whole Aaron Rodgers and his feelings thing. Um, did you see his interview <laughs> with uh, Kyle Brandt? I saw bits he, of it. Did, some of the bits, at least. Yeah. I thought the bits were fascinating because you don't, you don't get an athlete that's like – honest about a lot of that stuff aaron Rodgers was like really honest he always has been I mean, yeah. so he's he takes a lot of crap because of the honesty right it's this sort of catch-22 of everyone wants their athletes to be honest and not just fe- feed the same pr polished lines and yeah. then when they do they get criticized for it right so i would like if you asked brady breeze peyton so to say those three guys you asked him about a draft when a new quarterback got drafted in the first round when you have bad receivers. Yeah. They'd all be like, oh, we're going to play with the guys that are here. Right. And, you know, it's just like down the line, bullet pointed. Manning's, like, again, Manning, as with everything, is the absolute master at that, right? The dude never said anything outside of the official party line in yeah. like 15 years of his career. Yeah. So they're all, they would all give the same answers, right? And Rodgers is like, I don't know. I, I scouted the receivers. I really liked Justin Jefferson, who, by the way, went to Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that Ayuk was going to be the guy. Right. And we loved him. And then he goes to San Francisco. Then they draft a quarterback. My agent tells me, I made a stiff drink. Yeah. And now I'm just going to move on. <laughs> and they're like, you know what? As I look at my future, like, I'll be here in Green Bay for at least another year, but it's probably not going to end great. I mean, he was just, like, really honest about everything. Yeah. And, he, and honestly, his analysis didn't sound that much different than, like, what we would say on the podcast. Like, there was a couple receivers available. They forgot about them. They went with the quarterback. Aaron Rodgers isn't long for this world as a Green Bay Packer. Yeah. Like, I, I was impressed with at least, you know, his uh, awareness or, like, a difference between awareness and, like, saying it. Yeah. Um, but he, it was just – he was honest about it. Um, so, all that said, we don't like the direction the Packers have gone. We certainly would have gone playmaker first versus – you know, monster running back in the second round, a developmental quarterback in the first round. Mm. We probably wouldn't build a team that's really trying to duplicate what the Niners are doing, um, probably without the right personnel to do it. And all that said, you're still kind of a believer in the Packers, aren't you? Uh, insofar as I think they'll win the division, yes. Okay. Um, I, uh, believer is a, a term that maybe gets us into some trouble. But like, I don't think they're that good, right? Like, I think they'll win this division almost by default because I don't think the division is very good. I don't think they were as good last year as their record suggested they were. That was the other point that Aaron was making. He's like, man, like, we're, we're one game away from the Super Bowl. We right. were 13-3. and three. You'd think, oh, we're a piece or two. That, that was the one place where maybe you have to say that stuff, but, like, the reality is they probably weren't that Well, not good. just you have to say it, but he's, he, he has to think it as well. Right? Sure. Like, that, that's part of what makes you a great football player is believing, hey, we're, we're a game away. So we, we add to this team. I, I think fundamentally they weren't if, – if they disagreed with that and they had the self-realization to understand that they were not a game away last season, then kudos to the Packers, right? Because that's what we would point out. And I think ultimately that's what we saw when they ran into the NFC Championship game, right? When you actually went up against the top tier of the NFL in that game, albeit you know, a team that came out in the losing end of the Super Bowl – you got annihilated. Like, this was not a team that was capable of going toe-to-toe with the best teams in the NFL. Neither was the Vikings, and we saw that the week before. Like, when they ran up against the team that was the best in the NFL or as good as the best in the NFL, they got the crap kicked out of them. So I don't think Green Bay was as good last year as their record, so I would expect them, even if you just ran it back, to be worse this year than, than a season ago. But as I say, 
you can make the case that the whole division got worse. So I think they, they still end up winning it almost almost by default because they're they're probably still better than the other three. And Aaron Rodgers is still pretty good. Yeah. He has regressed. The offenses around him have regressed strongly. Um, and I think that's where, you know, our little analytics community is like really down on Rodgers. And like legitimately there are numbers that say he's middle of the pack. Like he's QB 15 yeah. from a – Here's how productive your offense is. For us, he always ranks higher because I think his actual play has been better than probably the output, and that's where it comes down to the playmakers. And I think that's why we went into the draft saying, like, I mean, I thought Justin Jefferson would have been the perfect fit there, if for nothing else, because he's so good at getting open over the middle, and that's where Aaron needs to attack more. Um, But regardless, even if you're trying to duplicate what the Niners do, which is run, run, pass, run, run, play action, run, run, play action, end around, all that stuff – you probably need more than Devontae Adams even yes. to make that successful. Um, and they have a whole bunch of six foot four, six foot five dudes who just aren't dynamic enough, I think, in today's NFL. That's so, my concern here. Very quickly, Rogers last season, overall PFF grade. Remember, this is play by play grading of what he did on the play, not necessarily the results, not all those kinds of things. Essentially, distilling the quarterback down as much as you can to what he was doing. Rodgers was the number nine quarterback overall in the NFL. The last eight games of the season, plus the playoffs, that slipped down to number 12. So, and that includes one really good like, game in the postseason. Out, take right. out that divisional game. I mean, if you take out the playoffs period and just look at the last eight games of the regular season, he's down all the way at 17. So, so just using that as a proxy, again, this is where it's like the narrative thing, right? New coach. Complete, you know, completely like a new play caller and coach for the first time ever for Rodgers. And you're like, well, it's going to be a slow start and then it'll get better. It got worse as the season went on. He got worse as the season progressed. Yes. Uh, what do you think they're doing? The Packers, right? What do you, th- with the, do you think that this entire approach, forget the Jordan Love pick for a moment, right? I think you can almost put that on its own, on its own island out here that – They've clear. That's a sort of independent decision that hey, we like this quarterback, and we're going to prepare for the future whenever that comes. Right. In addition to that, like everything they did from that point on, I think speaks to a certain direction that they're moving offensively. And I've heard multiple different sort of opinions about what that is. What's your take? What do you think they're doing? I think it's it's lessening the pressure on the quarterback. I think it's. I think it's LaFleur who has McVay ties and Shanahan ties, and they're all tied together, right? And they all run a system, and they run a system that's QB independent, and there's a history in the system of success with numerous quarterbacks. Matt Schaub, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo. Granted, the one year that Kyle Sh- – like, we always put these tiered quarterbacks, right? The one year or two years Kyle Shanahan had a tier two or better quarterback and that's Matt Ryan Mm -hmm. and one of those years was a tough transition and the second year was MVP Matt Ryan who almost broke the league statistically so there's a history of quote-unquote tier three quarterbacks who become products of the system and I think for LaFleur and for the Packers it's this buy-in to like we got to trust our system we're not building around Rodgers we're going to build a system through which he can flourish so I don't know I don't know that they're necessarily wrong there. And if I can get some things to load here, I would pull up some numbers. I think everything's broken right now. Buy a couple of seconds by giving you a little training camp nugget. I I don't need any seconds. I think is Ultimate not loading right now? What's happening here? Rick? See if I care. Texting Rick. See if I care. 
Um, no, buy me some seconds. Jared Stidham has thrown a seventh interception in the last 72 hours in training camp. Oh, man. I mean, it's training camp, right? So it doesn't actually mean anything. Last, well, no, there we go. Last, last year, that was, um, that was Garoppolo. Right. But remember, like, remember there was a period where people were losing their minds because Patrick Mahomes couldn't stop throwing interceptions in training camp. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like There's Patrick Mahomes stuff. took like a week to learn Andy Reid's system. And in that week, he threw like 800 interceptions. And then from that week onwards, he's been like the greatest quarterback the league's ever seen. Yeah, I think Rodgers actually, Rodgers threw a bunch a few years ago too. And like they were making the, I think he was making this point. He's like, sometimes we're just trying stuff. Right. And you're like, hey, there's triple coverage. I wonder if I can squeeze it in there. Yeah. Like, you know, just you're doing different things. Um, here's, here's what I think partially they're trying to do. I look at uh, Rodgers over the last couple of years. He's okay throwing you know, short game type of stuff and everything. I think they're trying to take that away, right? They're trying to take, they're just trying to take the ball out of his hands more, which will, again, the same thing as Stafford, the same thing as Russell Wilson. If this leads to more intermediate level throws and deeper throws, which Rodgers is more than capable of making, he might actually produce more, um, but on like 100 fewer attempts. I think that's what they're trying to draw up. Yeah, it's, it's the difference in emphasis, right? there's a lot of people that are like, well, they're, they don't believe in Aaron Rodgers anymore. They're trying to take the ball out of his hands. They're trying to go to this run-heavy offense where Rodgers has less of an impact, right? And I think – and then the, the, the other way of emphasizing that is I think they are of the opinion, and I'm with you on this, is that in this system, like this is a, an inherently quarterback-friendly system, right? It makes average quarterbacks look good. So what does it do to a good quarterback – like in theory, it the same, right. great. in theory, it should take a good quarterback, a Matt Ryan, and make him into an MVP, right? So whilst you might be – you are taking volume out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, you're asking him to do things less often, it maximizes the impact of what you're asking him to do. So we're going to give him the ball less, but with a view that when he actually has the ball, he's now throwing a schemed-up 30-yard bomb over the middle over play action that wasn't there beforehand, Right. So I, I do think that they are of the opinion that if we get this offense cooking the way the 49ers were, Rodgers looks like an all-pro again, right? Not the guy that's like 10 to 15 in the PFF grades. He goes back to being vintage right. Aaron Rodgers or somewhere near that. Yeah, and I guess, you know, we would, we would again, in that system, and they've talked to people in the system and all that stuff, like they just there's this belief that the run game is tied to play action and all that stuff, and in theory, there is as far as like you make everything looks the same. There's a lot of outside zone and bootleg off of that and play action, um, deep crossers and all that fun stuff, right? Um, at the same time, we also wouldn't say like, man, you really got to make sure like you, you know, get Aaron Jones' 20 carries and then uh, A.J. Dillon's going to get his 10. Like I, would, I, still pr- I still wouldn't take the ball out of Rodgers' hands, even though it hasn't looked as pretty the last couple of years as it had you know, in 2014 and 2016 and other points in his career. Um, I think the other point is the mistake teams make, what the last thing that they saw. Yeah. That's, that's my bigger issue with this stuff. Like everything we said philosophically is okay. Roger's getting older. We're going to take a little off his plate. Fine. But if it's fueled by the last thing you saw, and the last thing you saw was the best team in the NFC last year. Yeah throwing the ball eight times in a game and running the ball down your throat. Yes. That's the last thing you saw. So the last thing you saw was I had bad run defense. They ran all over me, and they didn't even need a quarterback. Right. And I need to emulate that. That would be the mistake. I think there's a huge portion of this that's fueled by almost exactly that. Right? They 
looked across to the other sideline in the NFC Championship game and thought, like, this is what this offense is supposed to look like, right? What, yeah. what, what is currently being done to us is what our offense should look like. So how do we create that? And they've gone like, right, let's draft a monstrous running back. Let's draft a weird H-back hybrid to take the Kyle Juszczyk role. Like, let's try and craft that in one offseason. And sure, I mean, that is, like, it can look like that. But equally, there were games, you know, the, the San Francisco-New uh, Orleans game where Jimmy Garoppolo had to air it out and they had to come from behind and had to make big plays through the air. Like, that offense was just damn good. Like, they beat the crap out of you on the ground and, you know, stomped all over you because your run defense was garbage that game. But that's like, that specific way is not how that offense won every single week. So if that if you're trying to replicate that, that just, it's questionable. Plus, there's like, there's a difference between having Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback and having Aaron Rodgers. Like, there's, it's the Russell Wilson argument again, right? It's how much does... Minima, how much does taking the ball out of his hands help him be efficient versus how much should you just be letting Russ cook? And the, I think the same argument is there with Aaron Rodgers. Like, we've seen him be amazing when he's been the guy. So how much should you be actively trying to take the ball out of his hands? It's just the, the perception of what happens on plays is just so different, right? So I'm looking at Aaron Rodgers the last two years on all throws up to nine yards just as a proxy like if they're let's say they're going to take away some of the short pass game and replace it with runs Aaron Rodgers has averaged 6.3 yards per attempt which is middle of the pack here 6.3 yards per attempt on those passes up to nine yards so if you're like man we're going to take the ball out of, we're, you know, we'll let him attack down the field and it'll be off play action he'll have more opportunities but we're going to take away the short stuff and replace it with runs like the average run is four four yards 4.1 or whatever the average pass attempt is 6.3 and then of course you have sacks in there too but there's not a ton of sacks when you're working quick game so even just like the premise of like we'll take some of the sum off his plate and we're going to run the ball more like you're going to be less efficient offensively on the on those plays on the short stuff and the what i'm saying is the difference is like aaron Rodgers throwing an incompletion feels like this massive failure where like a two-yard run is like all right it's not a win but like we're at least moving forward when the reality of like second and eight and second and ten is almost negligible like that's not that big of a difference and i think that's where the offense the system and stuff as a whole is coming from yeah the, it's the rogers thing is a real tricky uh tricky conundrum i don't know what the answer is right we've had multiple years now of he clearly – he's not the guy that he was in 2011, 2010, 2014, and he's probably never going to be that guy again, right? The question is, though, what the hell is he and what are the problems and can we get it better? Here's, here's what I think it is, right? If you go to the, the four elite quarterbacks over the last decade plus, right, which is Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, and Peyton Manning, they were all at points where it's like throw to Sam Monson. Who cares? They're awesome. They're going to be fine, right? And they've all had points in their career. Plus playmaker. Plus playmaker. They Where they – they carried whoever is out there. Mm-hmm. Brady's no longer that guy, probably. So now he's surrounded by all the supporting cast in Tampa Bay, but he, so he'll probably – he has a chance to produce. Like, Breeze probably still needs some help here. Peyton's can't even throw the ball anymore, so he's out of the equation. Like, if you were, sa- if you were telling me, give me the blueprint for the twilight of Aaron Rodgers' career, I would say we're still going to throw the ball a lot, but dude needs to have trust in these guys. Like, he trusts – Devontae Adams implicitly because Devontae Adams is awesome. Like, if you gave him the Lions receiving core, I think Rodgers is an MVP candidate again, statistically. Like, if he was thrown to, the, to that group, 
he's an MVP candidate. But you know what I think? He's capable. Yeah. So I kind of agree with that. But what I think is is going on is that I think as you age, you transform into a sort of more intense, distilled version of what you are. Right. So think of think of dry aging a steak. Right. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, it's the same thing. But the more it ages, the more it intensifies, and it becomes more and more steaky more beef flavor it just becomes a more potent version of what the thing was right and i think the same thing is true with quarterbacks except it's it's the positives and the negatives right so he just becomes a more intense more distilled caricature of the type of player he always was so he's still like if you look at his you know, big time throws. He's still like second in the NFL in big time throws over the last couple of seasons. Oh, the highlight reel is right? still there. Yeah. But the things that were always a sort of quirk and arguably a flaw to his game, right? He takes more sacks rather than interceptions. Those have become more, those have become bigger parts of his game as well, right? So this idea of he was always a little bit risk averse in terms of, you know, really being aggressive with the football and putting it into tight windows and, throwing it into dangerous areas of the field, right? He was always a little bit on the conservative end of that spectrum, um, and particularly when, you know, pressure got to him and those kinds of things. And that he's kind of leaned into that as he's gotten older, right? And those have become bigger flaws, if you like, or become a bigger part of his game. So you still got, like, the top-end stuff is still incredible, but the things that were, like, negative quirks to his game have become bigger and bigger – and for a while, it was like, well, is it the scheme? Is it guys not being open? Is it him not trusting them? And ultimately, I think it was like each one of those things maybe pushed him a little bit further down that role. But realistically, it's just this is a guy just getting set in his ways as he got older. And it's, I think it's really hard to pull somebody out of that. Like, this is who he is now, right? So now what you're left with is, okay, give, if that is a given, if this is what Rodgers is, how do you best maximize what that is what if you you make really good analogies i like the steak thing and really well done there's a butt on the horizon here i can sense it what if it was the the simplest answer which is just his just his supporting cast and the receivers and and again i i let me compare him to brady again one you know because brady's had a lot of receivers that he hasn't meshed with through the years yes rogers you can tell, like, he wants to give Alan Lazard a hug every time he throws the ball to him. He loves Alan Lazard. Mm-hmm. He, like, the, and Brady play, has played favorites through the years. Like, these guys have played favorites. I'm placating to my quarterback in this. I'm saying, who do you want, Aaron? You liked Justin Jefferson? Like, we'll trade up to get not, – I'm not going to trade up. But, you know, I'm yeah. going to get the guys you want. Because the last time he was – here's the last two times he was really good. 2014, yeah. MVP. He had Randall Cobb with over 100 catches, and he had Jordy Nelson, who was awesome, yeah. right? The first time we saw Rodgers regress was 2015. And when I go to Premium Stats 2.0 and I click on 2015 and I look at Jordy Nelson, he's just not there. Remember, he was hurt in 2015. And that was the first time when we were analyzing Rodgers, we were like, something's off. And and there's like a clear open slant and he's not taking it. Like he doesn't have the trust. He still had Randall Cobb. But his number two receiver from a reception standpoint is Richard Rodgers. He had James Jones there. He had Devontae Adams there over the last, like, those couple of years and who was starting to get better and better. So then 16 was when he was like, forget you guys at PFF. I'm going to go on a run. Remember, he called us out. Yeah. He had Jordy that year. It was a, you know, it wasn't the same Jordy, but it was still like 15 touchdowns Jordy and over 1,300 yards, including the postseason's Jordy. And an emerging Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb was still there. So the last time Aaron Rodgers was good – 
he had three legitimate receivers in 2014 and 2016. Yeah. And then outside of that, like, let's let's see what happened in 2017 before he got hurt. He had Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, and, like, a shell of Jordy Nelson. Like, his – basically just bring Jordy Nelson back. I mean, I do agree that if it was me and I was, like, trying to come up with a solution – I would have taken a shot at giving giving him one more elite receiver and seeing what that did. Like I think, I think that is the most obvious way of moving the needle. Um, but l- let me just finish this real quick. Again, our like little analytics world, which I think has I, I just I trust PFF grade so much because I think we can separate the quarterback from their playmakers. So while the PFF grade has gone down. It hasn't gone down nearly as much as, say, EPA, which is that advanced stat that we've decided to attach to players when it's very much, I think, a team-driven stat because it involves yak and it involves contested catches. It involves players making plays. And if the criticism with Rodgers is he's taken more sacks, well, it all is dependent on each other. If a guy's not open or he doesn't trust a guy to be open or he's not going to take chances because he doesn't trust a guy, he's going to take more sacks. Like, it's all dependent on Rodgers having three dudes that he could throw to instead of one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I agree. I think if, you were, if I was facing this offseason with all the things we've said and, and taken as read, look, Rodgers is not the guy. This is what he is. What's the best way of, of getting the most out of that? I would say, yeah, get, he has imma- immense fa- faith in Devontae Adams. He seems to have quite a lot of faith in Alan Lazard, but La- Lazard is, is a – capped receiver in terms of how good he can be just in terms of physical gifts and all those kinds of things so let's get him one more guy that he's got real faith in that probably moves the needle more than anything i can do from a schematic point of view or from the run game standpoint or from the defense like that's the thing so i'm with you i I would have taken a receiver in the first round too but they didn't they went in a different direction Um, i do like the, the lazard thing is interesting though because i think trust is a big part of this right rogers had a innate trust in Jordy Nelson he's developed innate trust in Devontae Adams and nobody else right but last year we started to see that like there's some trust there with Lazard and the numbers weren't always amazing but sometimes when you look at the throws he put like with Devontae Adams he's prepared to look up see a Tim and just fire it right nobody else is he prepared to do that with even with guys like you know, Valdez Scantling is good for a few big plays a game, but it's ones where he's like five yards open and Rogers like, all right, fine. Yeah. He heaves in the ball, right? But there are plays where, you know, coming to a second read, he looks, sees Alan Lazard one-on-one and just gives him the chance, right? Yep. And Lazard's been pretty good at like rewarding him for giving him that shot. So I think Lazard has a chance to legitimately sort of elevate himself and become a viable real number two in that offense. I think they could still use another guy, but... I think he has a chance to take a step forward and be a, like a, a useful contributor beyond what we saw last year. Um, yeah, and again, I, if, if I'm the head coach of the Packers and I'm like, okay, over the next two or three years, what's my best chance of success? I don't think it's like getting Aaron Jones more carries as great as he is or like A.J. Dillon emerging and you know looking like this next big freak. It's like happy, productive Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So I would do what I could. Or there. All that said. Or – pissed off Aaron Rodgers or pissed off Aaron Rodgers now if, now if all of this again we go back to go back and listen to our post-draft analysis which was like oh they just wanted to piss off Aaron because yeah. you know, that's what he that's what he does anyway Packers offensively I think is top to bottom one of the least talented teams well like let me rephrase that below yeah. average group of playmakers I still think they have a good offensive line because when you go a top to bottom it's like good 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 question mark good right I mean that's yeah. pretty much that's pretty much it Ellington Jenkins at left guard 
good as a rookie. Corey Lindsley at center. Billy Turner is a question at right guard. And the two tackles, you have Bakhtiari is the best left tackle in football, pass protection-wise. Rick Wagner, coming off a subpar year, but he's been uh, a pretty average performer throughout mm-hmm. most of his career. So they should be fine offensive line-wise. Uh, Aaron Jones has been fantastic running the ball. And that's the other thing, too. They have The Packers, with Rodgers at quarterback the last couple of years, have been really productive. Like, on a per-play basis, really good running the football jones is really good yeah and but i think that also goes to this point like if you have a pass game to worry about the run game will be good so also part of my concern is that they almost they want to push things more that way and you know push the envelope run game wise to set up the pass when like the run game's been being set up by the pass really well tyler irvin apparently moving out of the backfield to wide receiver but that's sparked the uh the crackdown on training camp reports People can't report that. Oh, the Green Bay media is hilarious right now. There's like, uh, Devontae Adams has left the field. There's a human being in his place. Yeah. Stuff like that. Or offensive lineman is down. It's a big guy. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> Looks like he's 300 plus. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'll be interested to see how that plays out. And it could work. I don't know. But, you know, there's a lot of things at play here. Defensively, um, I think they've built the pieces in the secondary to be really good. They've just they've been all over the place though. We've talked about Jair, Jair being a guy that you know looks like a great cornerback one week and is you know giving up two hundred, give up three hundred yards across two different games. Yeah, last year. Other than that, was lockdown. <laughs> Darnell Savage, nice little coverage addition last year, who just flies around the field. Adrian Amos, Kevin King. They're still waiting on that cornerback too. Josh Jackson's making some plays. Oh yeah, at uh, training camp. It's not yeah. too late. It's not too late, late for 2018 second rounder Josh Jackson, who we liked coming out. This, yeah, this is a defense that it feels like there's a huge range of outcomes. Um, yeah. Like the Jair Alexander needs to show that he can be that elite guy consistently, not just a lot of the time. Um, Zadarius Smith needs to show that he can be the guy he was last year again. You know, led the NFL in total pressures last season, 93. It's a huge number. But I hadn't really ever threatened to do that before. Like that right. was a fair departure from what we'd seen from him. He was good, not great previously. Can he back that up? Um, Kenny Clark, I think, is the one guy that you – like, he's the most sure thing on that defense, I think, in terms of just being – like, that guy has become the 2020 prototype for what a nose tackle is, right? Nose tackles used to be 400 pounds of of fat in Ted Washington. He is is the prototype. He is Right. Yeah. But those guys don't exist anymore. You can't have that guy because he plays, like, 150 snaps on obvious rundowns. Can I say? I miss those guys. You miss them? I miss them. There was something funny about them, right? Like, No, I thought it was awesome. No, like late era Ted Washington when he was legitimately 400 plus. But he can still move pretty well. Like, you are wider than the two offensive linemen assigned to double team you. No, I mean, I miss it because, you know, I was a young fan and all that stuff. I miss watching a game and you'd be like, every week the announcers would be like, you know what the key to this Pittsburgh Steelers defense is? It's Casey Hampton yeah. in the middle. Or you know what the key to this Patriots defense is? It's their free agent signing Ted Washington because he <laughs> takes on three blockers up front and he allows the linebackers to work. And I, I, I kind of enjoyed them the most, though, like when they aged into the caricature at the end of the career, right? So Ted Washington, when he became like 400-plus, the last couple of years of Grady Jackson when yeah. – it was a year where he played for the Lions, and he couldn't move anymore. Like, he really – he couldn't – like – so what would happen is he was in there for rundowns, and he would just, like, 
the ball snapped, he would just stand up and then lean on an offensive lineman, right? <laughs> and you couldn't move him because the dude was like 400 plus pounds. So, but equally, if the ball went anywhere other than like right where he was standing, he was a non-factor. The, those guys were just funny to me. Yeah, they are. I do kind of miss them. But anyway, Kenny Clark has become like what the nose tackle looks like in today's NFL, right? Which is if you're going to be on the field, you need to rush the passer to some extent. And he's really good against the run, and he's developed into a pretty good pass rusher who can win with quickness from that nose tackle alignment or kick it outside a little bit, you know, not like all the way to the edge or maybe not even a three-tech, but from yeah. sort of pass rushing interior alignments, he's really good. And then it's, it's a case of what you get out of the rest, right? What does Christian Kirksey bring to the table? Can Darnell Savage become the first-round guy that he was supposed to be? Can one of those guys, Kevin King, Josh Jackson, become – the like legit second corner that actually needs to play well now that you don't have a 128-year-old um, Tremont Williams anymore. And then the final one is, what do you, again, what do you get out of Rashawn, Rashawn Gary? Can he become a first-rounder, or was that just folly the whole way? You're right. There, there's a, a wide range of outcomes, and I also think that last year kind of epitomized this whole theory that like yeah your defense is dependent on offense you know after week one remember they gave up three points to the bears and and rogers famous post-game interview like was what's the difference we have a defense now and and it looked like the defense was so much better and we were like well maybe it's just mitchell not being as good maybe again maybe your defensive performance is just so dependent on what the offense does and if you just look at the games last year they gave up 34 when they ran into the Eagles. They gave up 24 when they ran into the Cowboys. That's fine. It wasn't too bad. Gave up 24 against Matt Moore's Chiefs, right, when you ran, went up against a good offense. You gave up 26 against the Chargers. You give up uh, 37 twice to the Niners, right? So, I mean, it was like when you went up against some pretty good offenses, you struggled. But you had good games against the Giants in the snow and Washington's football team and then the Bears again. And well done. Yeah, they did well. Again. Yeah, thank you. They did well at Minnesota. I mean, they did, you know, that's, you know, Kirk. Kirk down the stretch <laughs> in an important game. Um, so, so that's the thing, right, is you can't go into the season like, yeah, we'll just win with defense because you just you can't. You can't bank on that. All that said, Mike Pettin, I think, has had way more good than bad defensively. So, yeah, they'll be all right. Packers are going to win the division? I think so. If I was choosing the winner, I think I would still lean them. Didn't like their offseason. All like of the negativity. Criticize me from all the way along. And then you're like, yeah, okay, they're going to win. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rodgers is the best quarterback in the division still. Is he? I think so. Is he? Oh, now you're going to. Is well, it Stafford? I'm is it Cousins? Stafford. I, I, Minnesota Vikings time. Is Kirk Cousins the best quarterback in the NFC North? I think at this point it would be difficult to find that many data points that say Cousins isn't the best quarterback in the NFC North right now. Interesting. I mean, seriously, how many can you think of where he's not the clear number one guy right now? The, the one we pulled out, uh, was it the just put the ball in his hands? Well, he was actually decent at that, wasn't he? Uh, that's what I'm saying. Now, he doesn't – Rodgers has more big-time throws. I'll give him that. Um, Cousins has the better grade, has – over what period of time? I mean, anything relatively recent. Not over the last two years, I don't think. Better grade? Last sure year, does. Yeah. I don't think over the, uh, you got to stack it up here. Hold on. I'm pretty sure he does. Everybody hold. Everybody hold. We, if it helps, we can probably throw something up on the back there. Go black or, screens or, again. We're or just pull the power out again. Passing grade, last two years. No, Rogers 87.2 and uh, Cousins 86. 87 versus 86. Yeah, that's okay. close. Cousins was better last year. 
Yeah. Um, I also think Cousins has been uh, – he's been protected his whole career, to be honest. <laughs> This was this is the whole thing. Like he went to Minnesota because he's like dome check receivers check. They're gonna let me run a lot of play action check. Like that's why he went there so we could have that nice yeah. familiar. I mean his alternative was the Jets, so of course he went there. Well, yeah, and a nice stat padding situation. What's Minnesota? So here's the thing: we all we talk about is pass game first, and what's Minnesota's pass game gonna look like with no Stephon Diggs? They were already. They were one of the few teams that was just like, I'm looking for like a one, two, three punch. I'm looking for three receivers. Minnesota's one of those teams where it's like, I don't care. I've got one and two. They're good enough. Now it's one, Adam Thielen, two, Justin Jefferson. Like him, but he's a rookie. What are you going to expect out of him? Yeah, so they're, they last year they ran less 11 personnel than like anybody else in the NFL. They had the most two tight end sets in the NFL. Now the question is, was that cause or effect, right? right. Did they – is that what they want to run in this offense? And the fact that Kevin Stefanski is kind of looks like he's heading in that way with the Browns suggests that at least that's what they want to run, right? Um, as opposed to that was what was enforced upon them by the fact that they didn't have a third receiver. But it probably didn't help, right? So they, they're well used to not running three deep a receiver. They don't do that very often compared to some of these other teams. On the other hand, now they really can't, right? So you've got Adam Thielen, who himself – like needs to step into a slightly different role, right? You had Stephon Diggs. They were a really interesting duo because there was always this argument of which guy is better. And you could make the case kind of either way. I, I, somebody in a broadcast said it. It might have been Tim Patrick maybe, the, or it might, might have been somebody completely different. I'm Mike just Patrick. assigning. No, Tim Patrick, right? He's the 49ers the 6'5 receiver for the Broncos. Isn't there also a Tim Patrick? Tim? No, Tim Tim Ryan? I don't know. I don't, I'm losing names at this point. Yeah. Anyway, somebody. Some two first name guy. Some announcer uh, <laughs> said, you know, defenses respect Adam Thielen, but they fear Stephon Diggs. Like, he's the guy that actually scares them. Sounds like word salad to me. No, it's legit. No, I know. I know. You lie. That was, that's not bad. And I, I think that's true. But now Thielen needs to step into this role as being the number one guy. And for someone that plays the majority of his trade as a slot receiver – it's not necessarily that easy to do. You now need to be the outside guy. You now need to show you can do that. And Jeff, like when you're Jefferson's the same, right? Clones, another as far guy. As how you describe their skill yeah, set, another right? guy that did most of his damage in the slot. And then your options for the outside guy. You've got Tajay Sharp, Olabisi Johnson is the guy that's been running there in camp so far. And look, I mean, he's not. <laughs> if that's your second starter, you've got some problems. Um, so they've got, they've got to figure that out, right? Who, who's going to be the second receiver starting, and can they make enough of an impact, and can Adam Thielen be that number one guy? I think there's a big part of it that, look, this two tight end set thing is still going to be there, right? So Irv Smith in year two, Kyle Rudolph, those two guys are going to have as big an impact potentially as whoever the second receiver is. But, yeah, you, you've gone from – you've taken away arguably your best offensive player and have to replace him with a rookie. That's, that's hard. That's not easy. So I think all that said, what Green Bay is trying to do with Rodgers, is Cousins like a better proxy for what they're trying to do here? Because like Cousins last year, remember, they went to more Kubiaki type of stuff, a lot more rollout. Um, yeah. Cousins was incredible on the, on the bootleg game and all that stuff. Throughout much of the year, Stephon Diggs was complaining because he wasn't getting many targets. And mm-hmm. then even when you look at a season, like 99 targets – is not a lot across 17 right. games. It's not like a high volume, you know, Dick should be getting 140, right? Thielen should be getting 140. Both the, that's how good those guys are. And all that said, Cousins had his best season. So even with Adam Thielen 
hurt and only playing 12 games. Diggs complaining about not seeing volume for a big chunk of the season. And, and then having two pretty good tight ends in Kyle Rudolph and, you know, rookie Irv Smith. Cousins spread the ball around. Like, is that – that's what they're trying to achieve in Green Bay, right? It's just like, let's not rely on quarterback receiver. Let's let the scheme dictate this thing. Yeah, I mean, it was that um, – it was that ridiculous sort of cliche or the, the, the running joke, right, that – like the ideal Kirk Cousins game was like that week one against Atlanta where he threw the ball like 11 times or dropped yeah. back 11 times, threw it 10 times, completed eight of them. You know, like that's the dream, uh, the dream game for this offense is that Kirk Cousins can, like attempts like 15 passes and they win the game, right? Because they're just crushing people every other way. I, I think it's the same idea. Like that's what the Packers would love is that Rodgers throws the ball 20 times, completes 17 of those for like 250 yards and a yeah. couple of scores. Yep. But like, that's what a few of these teams in the NFL are shooting for in terms of their ideal dream scenario. The Vikings were actually closer to realizing it last year. But I, they, the reason I think that they got worse this offseason is they traded away arguably their best offensive player. And there were, I think that's not always a bad idea necessarily, but I think when – you immediately have to replace him with the collateral that you just traded for him. It's bad because right. there's no right. way. We've like, got to spend this first rounder right. on Justin Jefferson and hope he's close. Yes. So the, the, the chance of Justin Jefferson being as good as Stephon Diggs are tiny. And even, even if Justin Jefferson ends up being a pretty good player, just the nature of draft picks and how successful they are, the chance of him plugging that up immediately are, are almost nothing. And then the secondary was kind of the same thing. You let, like, your entire cornerback group walk out of the door. Now, admittedly, they weren't playing particularly well, but you lost all of them, and you're replacing them with rookies. Again, like, the chances of the rookies being better than even what left Minnesota last year are not high. Um, and then you've got a couple other, like, pretty obvious holes in the roster as well that didn't necessarily got addressed or did, and then the guy that you addressed them with opted out of the season, and you're still screwed. Uh, so all that said, Cousins despite having lesser playmakers overall had the best season of his career we had, yep. coming into the year we had said look he's only had one top 10 finish in pff grading this became his second um it also started out disastrous uh he only had those 11 dropbacks as you mentioned against atlanta that was fine but then the next week against green bay horrible 14 of 32 should have had about four picks and had two ridiculous fumbles mm-hmm. had a 25 grade but from that point on uh cousins was really really good but there was still it was you know cousins always seems to like get over the hump but like he just like crawls over the hump instead of jumping over it like the hump being like hey win a monday night football game win a primetime game win a game that people don't expect you to win like that that started happening a little bit right they beat um was it seattle if you, take out, if you take out that week two game against the packers cousins was the number one graded quarterback last year uh, passing great yeah, overall right. was less because obviously he doesn't run ever and when he did run he was fumbling yeah crushed his grade um, so they got over the hump with like a few key wins and the Denver game when they made the huge comeback like there were these like check marks like little check marks that Kirk hit but still crunch time Green Bay week 16 you know you got the division on the line and all that stuff and he's got a 56 grade averaging 3.9 yards per attempt in that game um, taking five sacks, and then in the divisional round against the Niners, there was that one deep throw, and that was it, 52.9 grade. So yeah. there's still, like, you're leaving a lot on the table. 
in crunch time, even though there's always like, oh, maybe that's your signature win. Maybe that's your signature win. Like he's had a few of those through the years. Like I remember even before Minnesota signed him, like he goes up to Seattle with Washington and a, a bad offensive line and they, he makes a ton of big throws that like helped convince Minnesota he was their guy going forward. There's still like a little bit lacking there with Cousins though. Yeah, there, there's always this feeling with Cousins that there's something missing. And it's not always easy to identify exactly what it is because you can – like on almost everything you can ident- – like the idea that, hey, he didn't win a primetime game against – you know, there's these stats where he's like one for 23 or something. Yeah, sorry, they lost against Seattle. There was one primetime game or whatever that he won, right, that was significant. Go ahead. There's like this – you know, there was this stat that he was like one for 23 against, you know, a good team on primetime or whatever. Oh, Dallas. They beat Dallas it's on like, primetime. I don't think those were – I don't think those were necessarily legitimate – numbers right i think it's just a case of like look he was never on a particularly good team and when you face better teams you're gonna lose yeah it's just the way it was working out right but there it's like the Derek carr thing right there's just there's something missing from him and i think that's why for years you get this idea of intangibles right quarterback intangibles we can't quite articulate what it is but you kind of know it when you see it yeah. and i think that works the other way as well like cousins is eight, 90 percent of a great quarterback but the 10 percent that's missing it's really hard to pin down exactly what it is, but it's the brain fart that when he was supposed to spike the ball, he takes a knee instead, right? There. There's yeah. just something not there that should be, and it's why you can never fully buy in to Kirk Cousins. There's just something not, not there in him that no matter how good he gets at everything else, and he may end up you know, getting even better this year, becoming a consistent top-five quarterback every single week, you just know, like, there's that feeling. There's something not there, and when you need him to pull you out of a fire, he's probably not going to. He's probably not going to be there. <laughs> he's probably not going to be there for the fire. Um, offensive line-wise, they were not great in pass protection last year. I don't know if you're going to expect that this year. Riley Reef, like, overall has graded okay, but in, you know, true pass sets and, like, times when you just have to pass, like, when you're not protected by play action and all that stuff, he's a little bit below average instead of that perfectly average left tackle i think brian o'neill's become pretty good garrett bradbury has to play better the 2019 first round pick um and then my boy dalvin cook assuming they get a contract worked out which has gone on hold at the moment for whatever for whatever the run game's worth when you do have a kubiak scheme and you're going to put a running back into space there's nobody in the nfl i'd rather in space in right now than probably saquon barkley or dalvin cook yeah so he's really good yeah um, he can run the ball yeah, that, that contract negotiation appears to have stalled, and now they're going to be running into a, a season where potentially the cap is lower. Like, he's just – he's destined to get screwed, I think, out of this deal. Um, and he's an unfortunate, I think, loser of the fact that running back position is devalued and yeah. replaceability and all this kind of stuff, particularly when you have an Alexander Madison already there. Like, I, I don't see a way that he comes out of that contract negotiation in a great scenario, which is – obviously what he wants like the idea way back when when they started negotiations and he used the term something like look he just wants a fair deal something like that you know what i mean it's like he wasn't even out there saying hey i want market setting money i want to be the like he was like i just want something better than the crappy contract i'm on right now it was like look just throw me a bone here like i think he knows that he's not going to get the big deal that he wants um offense is going to be better or worse this year Worse. I mean, Stephon Diggs is one of the better receivers in the NFL, and he's not there anymore. How do you get better? Than, like, so they're worse offensively. Yes. Defensively, we mentioned this around draft time. I, I think they did as well as they could yeah. in the draft. And I, I, I just 
I'm always fascinated by team building and just like the points that a team is at um, at a certain point, right? Like the the Vikings have been the team that's kind of been like trying to hold on to this really good nucleus of players that peaked really in 2017 when they uh, you know made it to the NFC Championship. That was their peak, and they've been trying to hold on, trying to hold on. We saw this from the Niners early last decade. They just had like this nucleus of like ten guys, and eventually you can't keep all of them or they get older you lose it and, and the vikings are there um and they have been the last couple of years like you lose a couple players here and there and now it looks like a pl- completely different team the trouble with that is when you don't trade down and get 700 draft picks to replace those guys so the vikings actually did that and they've added all sorts of new faces into the secondary jeff gladney in the first round at corner cameron dantzler in the third round depending on which team account you're looking at and you never know how good he's doing at training camp. Warren Sharp called him out. Hmm. Could be getting torched. Could hmm. be awesome. You never know. Hmm. Um, anyway, my point is they've added a ton of faces to this defense, and that's been needed, but there could be some growing pains. They boxed themselves into a corner, and I, they ended up – they had a draft where they needed to fill three or four critical spots with their picks right and i think they did about as well as humanly possible at filling those spots right but again just the nature of draft picks the idea that you're going to bat a thousand on those four important picks is, is almost zero it's not going to happen plus right? we're, we're in a year where it's like how much can you truly right. expect I mean, yeah, from rookies that, the the year like the way things went like yeah. covid etc blasting everything sideways doesn't help but even just in a vacuum right the idea that like you're going to bat a thousand on the four picks that you wound up needing to hit to fill starting positions or whatever it's real it's a tiny landing spot to hit and it's it's just not going to happen so it's like at least one of those maybe two maybe three maybe all four of them are not going to pan out at which point you have a hole that's that's going to be a problem you so you know uh college football better than me has cameron dancer always had the nickname the needle because that's a phenomenal nickname for a guy that's built like him because he's built like a a needle I saw that he's very skinny. Just recently, in, in all the training camp videos and stuff, he's he's been getting nicknamed the Needle, which I think is just outstanding. The the baseball equivalent. You know what a fungo is? A fungo bat? No. So a fungo, you know, like a normal bat is like thirty three inches, say thirty ounces or whatever. Uh-huh. A fungo is a longer okay. and skinnier and light, and you use it to just hit ground balls. You know, as practice, it's like okay. a practice bat, just for like a coach. So it's a long, skinny bat. So if uh-huh. you, you had a guy with Dantzler's, um physique, you'd say, oh, who dressed the fungo? I see. That's, yeah. the, that's the baseball joke. You baseball guys are real cards. You know? Real, real funny. Yeah. Real funny guys, the, baseball. Dantzler, I think, is genuinely <laughs> intriguing, right? Third-round pick, but a guy who fell to the third round because he was like 180 pounds and ran like a 4'6", right? But, he but ran, on my computer, it was like 4-2. Well, so the thing is, he, he did that at the Combine. Oh, please don't. Let's not get into it. No, no, no. Look, it's legit. He ran a 4-6 because he bulked up, right? This guy, like, his, he's absurdly skinny. Bulked up needle. Right? Six, whatever he is, but incredibly skinny. And the, uh, the, so the big concern with a guy like that is, well, can he pack on enough weight to play in the NFL? So he tried to add weight to run to, – to work out, show up at the combine to show he could be an NFL-sized player, and when he did that, he ran like a pig. So it didn't help, right? In fact, if anything, it went it hurt more than it did anything. So then he, you know, he obviously lost some of the weight, did his own pro day stuff, and the number was significantly better. But my point is, like, this is a guy who, through his college career, gave up like forty percent of the passes thrown his way were caught. He played LSU and Alabama last year 
and in those two games combined gave up 21 yards in coverage. This is a guy that can cover and can cover against legitimate athletes like Jamar Chase, arguably the best college receiver uh, in the landscape, and the Alabama guys, all of whom are amazing, and at least two of whom run like four twos, right? So him running like a pig didn't show up in those games. Like he can cover that level of athlete. And then training camp, okay, there's some bad plays in there as well. It's training camp that's going to happen. But like the, the thing that I tweeted was not even the play that he made, but like Adam Thielen went up to uh, Mike Zimmer after practice and said, 27 is going to be really good. Like that guy can play. Yeah. So like, the fact that that happened, like a player went out of his way to tell the coach who then relayed it to media as opposed to the guy went out of his way to talk him up to the media. Right. Like that he went out of his way to identify that guy as a guy that can play is big, particularly when I think that he's the one guy in that group that it's built to play outside. Mike Hughes, probably even Jeff Gladney are maybe more suited to be slot guys. I like Gladney out there. I mean, he could get he could definitely get bodied out there. Right. Whereas Dantzler, I think, is built to play on the edge, and they need that. Uh, Gladney was battle-tested. Yes. That's the word I always said in the Big 12. And he was going up against Denzel Mims and um, uh, Wallace from uh, Oklahoma State. He was going up against good receivers mm-hmm. every single week and getting targeted like eight to ten times and all that. So... I mean, look, talking about wide range of outcomes, that's kind of been one of the stories. That's our way of hedging and just saying, we don't know. It's the NFL. We don't know how this is going to go. But this is, it's a wide range for the Minnesota secondary with Mike Hughes, Cameron Dantzler, Jeff Gladney as the the key guys that they need uh, contributions from this year. And then combine that with Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris, the best safety duo in the league. That That does help. It absolutely does. My question is, do they tap into Harrison Smith's versatility a little bit more? Do they bring him down to cover the slot more? Do they bring him, you know, do they move him around more? And because Anthony Harris has that legit free safety range, do you play more single high yeah. instead of too high? Or do you just play a ton of too high to like protect? That's the what corners, I think they'll do. They'll, you know? I think they'll carry on as, as they have been and rely on the fact that Mike Zimmer can coach cornerbacks and hope yeah. it gets them to a level where they're not a liability. Um, they, the Vikings also had, I think, one of the most significant opt-outs in terms of impacting a, a team of anybody. They signed Michael Pierce to be the new Linval Joseph, effectively, and Michael Pierce opts out. And now they have the worst interior group of players yeah. in the NFL. Like, Shamar Steven, Jaleel Johnson, Jalen Holmes has been playing outside a lot. Like, Hercules Madafa is still not big like right like, trying to bulk up right it's in there. like that is a horrible looking group of interior defenders and they actually need that yeah i mean i, th- I think there's even more everson griffin's gone now and yep. even just from an edge rush standpoint there's a lot of pressure on Danell hunter who for much of his minnesota run has been you know the complimentary piece he yeah. went from the number three rusher and then to the number you know one one a rusher you know with griffin and now it's like hey you're the guy like you're the only guy that we uh really trust getting after the quarterback so i think i mean minnesota's front seven has slowly depleted the last couple years their secondary has slowly depleted with trey waynes moving on um with ex xavier Rhodes not only moving on but like you know being a shell of himself last season yeah so yeah i the the vikings could land everywhere but they do look like on paper it was like it was this rebuild i mean they're rebuilding and but they also have in this nfc north where everybody got worse like they're still going to be competitive yeah that's the thing like it's it's not a strong division i think overall which is going to help them but potentially got worse on offense 
you probably got worse on defense uh, in the secondary, even though your group of cornerbacks was not great. Like Xavier Rose last season was garbage. Um, Trey Waynes was solid-ish as a starter. Mackenzie Alexander actually played pretty well in the slot. Um, So somehow that trio needs to be replaced by a combination of Gladney, Dantzler, um, Holton Hill, and Mike Hughes, right? Maybe there's a group in there that's that's better than what left, but there's also a pretty good chance there, there isn't. Um, and then they need to replace uh, Everson Griffin with uh, Denigbo and then somehow patch up the fact that there's no defensive tackle that can play worth a lick. Um, so the defense is going to struggle. Like it's relying on the fact that Mike Zimmer is one of the best defensive coaches in the NFL He's been to, to salvage what's been there. Where did we rank their def- We ranked their defensive line 24th, and that's like really on the strength of Donnell Hunter really emerging and becoming one of the – Basically, you know, going up. from a guy that had a lot of sacks to a guy that's actually winning at a high percentage as well, not yeah. just you know finishing plays. Um, but 24th defensive line, 21st for secondary, um, but because of the just lack of playing time that all their corners have, 21st could be end up 32nd or it could end up you know 15th, yeah. 12th. You know, it could end up pretty good. So Vikings are all over the place, man. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's – there's a lot of talent still on this team, but there's suddenly a ton of holes that yeah. weren't there, you know, a couple of years ago. I mean, you think in 2017, this was maybe the best roster in the NFL. They came up short uh, in the NFC Championship game. And since then, I think they've been steadily eroding the talent core of the, the roster. You've still got a quarterback. You've still got some, you know, impact playmakers like Adam Thielen, um, Irv Smith, potentially Dalvin Cook. You've got some quality players on defense, the, the, the safety duo that's amazing. Eric Kendricks was awesome last year. Right. And again, uh, that's another one that's giant outlier. Can he re- right. sustain that? Even Danelle Hunter was kind of an outlier last season compared with his usual baseline. Was that him finally becoming Ooh, cousin, the, I mean, the realization Vikings, of his talent? It's Cousins had a career year. Danelle Hunter had a career year. Right. Eric Kendricks had a career a year. A lot of them. Dalvin Cook had a career year because he actually stayed on the field most of the time. <laughs> Wow, you heard it here first. Vikings win in four games. I mean, anytime you have that many guys who are coming off career years, it's a legitimate concern that, well, what happens if this year they don't all do that? Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. then, then you immediately take a big step back, even independent of the, like, the turnover on the roster, like the other spots right. that you now need to replace. So, I, yeah, I think this team should probably take a pretty significant step back. The only question is how much can Zimmer and the talent that's still there mitigate it? It's a fascinating division. I think there's a ton of storylines from Rodgers to Stafford. More Nick Foles data points. I've been just, just give me more Nick Foles data points. We'll figure out what he is at some point in his career. And then uh, Cousins in the Vikings rebuild. Uh, that'll do it for us. NFC North preview. Again, the first five divisions, we hit the entire AFC and then the NFC East. It's all wherever you're listening to this podcast or watching here on YouTube. We have two more divisions to get through, and then we'll just uh, – it's almost season time. It's almost yeah. uh, ready to start. Actual football. If you're getting ready for the season, the only place to do it is pff.com. Grab mm-hmm. your edge or elite package if you're getting ready for your fantasy draft. Um, our guys have worked hard on you know redraft this year. So if you're drafting right now, if you're in uh, dynasty or dynasty leagues, mm. if you're in best ball, all of that stuff, it's all covered at pff.com. Edge and elite package has the best fantasy tools you can find. And then don't forget college football if you want all of our college football grades dating back to 2014, there's also some – I think there's some Easter eggs in there too for some of like the historical quarterbacks like Russell Wilson at NC State and Andrew Luck at Stanford. I'm pretty sure it's all in there. Um, so go check it out, CFB25. CFB25 is your 
promo code for 25% off at pff.com for the new college subscription package. Nice. All right, guys. What's today? Thursday? All right. We'll see you Monday Mm. with more PFF NFL podcasts.